Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. So I'm going to begin with a, with a question, and, and hopefully, if, if I can remember, I'm going to be asking the same question throughout the, the sermon. But the, the question is, is this, what makes the prayers of a Christian different than anyone else? What makes the prayers of a Christian different than anyone or everyone else? Because if we think about it, all religions pray, and even people who would say they don't believe in God at times find themselves praying. It's often quoted in our culture, religious or not, our thoughts and prayers are with you. If someone's going through something or someone loses someone they love, Prayer runs throughout the culture and the world. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is different about Christian prayer? And we're going to look at that a bit before we get into the text today, because I, I really, as I was looking at the text, I, I, like I prayed, I really wanted to avoid just saying, hey, we need to pray. Go pray. Right? We don't pray enough. Pray more. Like, that, that's easy. I could stand up here and say that because I know it's true of all of you because it's true of me. We don't pray enough. We don't think um, of God enough. We, we often make decisions without praying. And, and there may be a few of you in here who, who actually have that spiritual gift of prayer. And you, you might be thinking, well, that's not me, Pastor. And, and, and maybe it's not. But for the most of us, we struggle to, to pray so the question is, why is it different for a Christian to pray? Why is it different for a Christian than it would be for a Muslim or a Buddhist or somebody that denies God but still prays? And um, we know that, that that is a thing. So let, let's go into the Bible before we get to our text today and, and look at a few verses. 1 John 4, 8 to 9. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Romans 8, 15 to 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if we take both of these texts together, I want to kind of draw something out before we go into the text. Number one, in 1 John 4, 8 to 9, John says, God is love. 
You've probably heard that quoted. That's an oft-quoted passage by even non-Christians that want to attack the faith, saying, hey, you guys are talking about sin and repentance, but God is love. Your own Bible even says God is love. But forget about that argument for a moment. Um, God is love because of the Trinity. God is Father. God is Father. God did not become Father. God did not exist ever in eternity past, not loving. He was not bored and by himself and wanting to love and then said, hey, I'm going to make all of you and me and then I'm going to love them, which is gods of other religions. No, the Christian God is a God that has eternally existed. And that is why John can say, God is love. He is father. He has never not been a loving father. He, was, he has always been a loving father from eternity past. And in fact, the love between the father and the son is so full and so robust that the Holy Spirit exists. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit, and not as if, actually, I take that back, as the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is so full, and you have this picture in eternity past of the Father loving the Son and the Spirit in communion between the two. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you look to the cross and say, yes, he bore my sin on that cross, I going to turn from my sin and turn to Christ. When that happens, you are actually brought into that eternal love between the Father and the Son. And the Spirit now resides in you. And you, like Romans 8, 15, 16, can cry, says, can, you can cry, Abba, Father. Because the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And brothers and sisters, I would just submit to you that this is everything right here. This is why it is different for a Christian to pray than for a Muslim to pray, because we can pray and cry, Abba, Father, because we have the Spirit of the Son, the Holy Spirit residing in us, and that Spirit bears witness that we are children children of God. John Murray says this, the life of true faith cannot be of cold metallic ascent. It must have the passion and warmth of love and communion because communion with God is the crown and apex of religion. Communion. This communion that, that John and Paul are talking about, this communion with God is because the Spirit is within you and cries, Abba, Father. It's intimacy with God. Um, Peter says it this way, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
Brothers and sisters, this joy that is inexpressible, this is what we're, we're after. This communion with God, this Abba Father, I would submit to you that we will not pray or we will pray in a very rote, mechanical, distracted manner if we're not honed in on this idea that we are sons and daughters of the living God and that the Holy Spirit resides in us. And I would just ask you this morning, this inexpressible joy that, that Peter is talking about, he's not saying some or just the apostles inexpressible joy. He is saying we, all Christians, should have this inexpressible joy. And I would just ask you this morning, is this foreign to you? When I say inexpressible joy and, and, and having God's spirit within you crying, Abba, Father, does that just, do those words just fall dead? Or does something in you bubble up and say, yes, I know that I have the spirit of God in me because I have that joy that Peter is talking about. If this is not you, then, then you need to respond to the gospel. That ache in your heart, that discontent that you try to fill with, with lust and, and maybe work. Maybe you want a new house. Maybe you need a new job. Whatever it is, that, that thing that you're constantly trying to fill that you'll never fill, that desire is for this. For the, the, the Spirit of God to, to be in you. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you repented of your sin and looked to Christ and said, I, I want this. I want what you have to offer you died for me on that cross. You lived the perfect life, the life that I could not live. When you trust in the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. That is the gospel. Have you taken hold of it? Before we even begin to talk about prayer, you can't pray in a way that's real prayer without that. So have you taken hold of it? The offer of the gospel have you said, yes, I need it, and I want to turn to Christ and, and turn away from my sins? Brothers and sisters, if, if you know Christ, if you truly know him, I want to remind you that he hears you. He hears you. Often you don't believe that. And I can say that because often I don't functionally believe that. I pray as if he's not hearing me. He hears you. Psalm 65, too, we can go all the way back into the Old Testament. Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all, to you shall all flesh come. God, the God of the Bible, hears prayer. He hears your prayer. So this week, as I began studying this passage, um, I, I, I confess, I want to confess to all of you, I was convicted. Number one, my own prayer life, there was conviction. Um, just that I, at times I'm losing the wonder and the awe of prayer in my own life. Um, and as your pastor, I, I'm 
confessing to you that, that that's what this passage did for me. I, I felt all week a new wonder and an excitement about prayer, but it wasn't, hey, I should pray, so then go and pray. It was more, hey, God is a father, and I can cry to him, Abba, Father, and he hears me, and he delights in me, um, that communion. Um, so, and, and then as I began looking more into prayer, there was a conviction that, that on another level that began, I look, began looking at the life of Jesus, um, just a few things about the life of Jesus. Uh, this is only going to scratch the surface, but Jesus had a robust prayer life. He woke up in the morning often early to pray. He told his disciples that some demons could only be cast out through prayer and fasting. In talking about the temple, he said the temple should be a house of prayer. Right before he was going to raise Lazarus, he prayed. Hebrews 5.7, of Jesus says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Another time when Jesus was praying, um, the, the, the windows of heaven were open. Luke 3, 21. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. In the garden before he went to the cross and he was in agony over what he was about to experience, he prayed. As he was dying on the cross, he prayed. Jesus modeled prayer in all circumstances for us. And the disciples immediately continued in Acts 1.14, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. The disciples are together, and it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So I would ask you this morning, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Do you have intimacy with God? Or are your prayers primarily distracted? Like, hey, I know I should do this. I'm going to pray. And then, what, a few minutes in, you find yourself thinking about your to-do list? How often does that happen? Do you view prayer like eating your vegetables? Like, you know, you know it's good for you. You know you should be doing it, but you don't really love it. And I, I would venture to guess that's a lot of us. But again... What makes the prayers of a Christian different than the prayers of the rest of the world? Kevin DeYoung says this about praying in Christians. When you think about it, it doesn't take a work of the Spirit of God in your life for you to want things to go well. Non-Christians want their loved ones to find a job. You don't have to be a Christian to want illness to go away, to be cured from cancer, for conflict to be resolved, for your problems to go away. So what DeYoung is getting at is the rest of the world that prays, prays like that. And to be clear, 
in Philippians, we are commanded to pray like that. That is part of our prayer life, supplications and, and asking God to change circumstances. But I think what happens a lot in, with Christians, especially American Christians, is that ends up being the sum totality of all of our prayers. That, that becomes our prayer life. We just want things to go well, and when they're not going well, we ask God to change them. The problem with that, this often, is the Bible. When we look at Paul's prayer in, in the letter to, to the Ephesians, he's got two prayers that, that we've had two weeks on, and, and in those prayers, he says things like this. He's praying for, for all of the, the Christians in Ephesus for wisdom and revelation, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they may see the knowledge and the beauty and the glory of God. In chapter 3, he goes on to, to again pray for the Christians, and he says, I pray that you have the, the strength to comprehend the love of God, the breadth and the width, the height, the depth of the love of Christ. And today we're going to see he's praying that we have alertness in the battle. This is going to be right on the heels of Steve's sermon last week and the spiritual battle, and, and he's going to talk about praying for alertness in the battle. All right, let's, let's begin. Before that, we're going to just do a little connection to, to, to last week. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. So Steve uh, did a great job last week talking about the armor of God, that, that we're in a battle here. This is not peacetime. We are in a battle. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think last week Steve rightly pointed out many people, and, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth a week later, but what I heard is, hey, a lot of us don't quite believe this. We operate as if there isn't a battle. And what happens is when the, when, when the battle comes and the trial comes, we're, we're surprised and we're kind of taken off of our feet because we're like, wait, this shouldn't be like this. What's happening? But brothers and sisters, we, we are in a battle. Our faith is a faith that applies to, to wartime. In fact, theologians say right now we're the, the church militant. There's a battle. There will come a day when, when it's perfect peace. But that day is, is not today. That day is not today. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, of the spiritual battle, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. So as, as we read this, I'm just curious, you don't have to raise your hand, but think about where do you fall here? 
One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And Hal, a materialist or a magician, with the same delight. So I would just ask you this morning, when it comes to your faith, would you lean more towards materialist? Like you don't, you might not even really have a category for spiritual warfare and for the demonic and for the, 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 the realms of the unseen. Or do you, do you lean towards the magician where, hey, everything's a battle. It's, it's all, and, and it might just be, hey, you, you made a, a foolish mistake and now you're, you're living out the consequences of that mistake. Um, as Christians, I think we can, we can run in both or fall on both ends of that continuum. Um, but the reality is there is a spiritual battle. Paul is talking about it in Ephesians 6. Um, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. There are unseen forces that hate God's people, hate God's children, want them to not worship God, want them not to gather, don't want this happening. If you think about the history of, of civilization, you, you will always see that God's people have been persecuted. They are still being persecuted today killed, depending on where you live, that persecution will be stronger or um, less strong, but the people of God have, have always had an enemy. You have an enemy. You have an enemy that does not want you right here, right now, listening to the word of God preached, singing with all the saints, having relationships with other Christians, repenting of your sin, and living the life that God has called you to, you have an enemy that does not want that for you and actively is seeking to ruin anything good that you have happening in that realm. So Paul, in light of all this, Paul is going to call us to prayer. So what makes Christian prayer different? This is another aspect of it. We are in a battle, and we need to pray as such. Ephesians 6, 18, the first part of verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is just another type of prayer. It's a requesting, a pleading type of prayer. So this is, this is Paul kind of hitting both types of prayer here. Um, to, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So two things I, I want to call out in this text. Number one, prayer is constant. It should be constant. When I think about my relationship with my wife, and I think about how we develop intimacy as a husband and a wife, there is a lot of communication that needs to happen. So one of the ways we do that is we take time together and uh, we, we walk together. And it's just me and Amy, 45 minutes, we're just talking. Often about the kids, 
Sometimes we're praying together when we, when we walk. But also throughout the day, if, if we're apart, I'm texting her quick, probably more than she would like. She's smiling. <laughs> hey, how you doing? How's it going? What are you doing now? Um, but but there's, there's a constant communication. It's not like, like hey, I'm away, you're away, we don't talk, and we only talk on these set times. There's set times where we talk and have communication and develop intimacy, and then there's just quick popcorn shooting texts back and forth all day to keep that relationship intimate. And we should think about our prayer life like that as well. There, you should, and, and I would encourage you to have a set time that you pray. And that's going to be different for everyone. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are night people. Some of you have lunches available. But have a set time where you just put, put aside and say, hey, I'm going to maybe read a psalm and pray to God in, in this window here. But we also should be constantly talking to God and, and communicating with God and acknowledging God that he is sovereign and providential how do you do that? How do you pray? Do you have a set time where you pray that you say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this time every day and pray and talk to God? Prayer is constant. Paul also says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Prayer keeps us awake and alert. So there's actually something in the very um, the very bones of, of, of what it means to pray that keeps us alert and awake. First of all, when we pray, we're acknowledging God. So right away there is a break in our functional unreality of living our lives not acknowledging God. When we pray, we're actually breaking that. Right? We're breaking the fact that we're functionally acting as if God doesn't exist, that he's not sovereign, that he's not providential. But when we pray, we're acknowledging, oh wait, this is not true, how I've been living. God is here. He is on his throne. So there is something that keeps us awake in prayer. Ephesians 5.14, a few weeks ago, we looked at this. This is to Christians. Keep in mind, this, this is to believers. Paul is saying, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christians can fall asleep. That's a, a reality. Christians can fall asleep. Asleep, and, and some of you who are scientifically minded, you know that there are different stages of sleep. Sleep doesn't just happen. You kind of roll into it. Um, I'm not going to go over the, the stages of sleep, you, but, but you, know, you, you know, you know, there's a period of time where, where you're just kind of dazing off. <laughs> and then, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're maybe dreaming. Um, Christians can fall asleep and, and the enemy wants that for you. The enemy wants you sleeping, wants you ineffective, not sharing your faith, 
not proclaiming the gospel, not living for Christ, living like the world, living like everyone else. He wants that for you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, of, of the devil, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And, and some of you have a Bible that will say schemes. The devil has schemes. And I know for, for some of you, you might be thinking, you're crazy. You're talking about a, a devil. Like that's Hollywood. Um, you know, that doesn't exist. We live, we're post-enlightenment. We, we don't think like that anymore. But I mean, really, if that's what you're thinking, think about how incredibly dark and evil this world is. It's, it's dark. It's evil. People have done evil things. And, to, and at this moment, right now, as we're gathered here, there is the most unspeakable evil happening all over this globe. Things we, we couldn't even digest if we heard. This world is evil. It is dark. How else do you explain the murder of millions of children in the womb. How do you explain that? The most defenseless, without a voice, weakest human beings by the millions being killed. The world is dark. There is an enemy. There is a devil. He is a liar. He does pose as an angel of light. He is a destroyer. He is a murderer. He does take the truth and twist it. So the enemy is, is in your head all throughout the week. And he's saying things like, like this, or maybe he's in your head right now as I'm speaking. Do you really believe that what this man is saying is true? We really, do you believe that the Bible is true? Isn't that an old book? How do we know it's even right? Common sense says that miracles can't happen. This story is too unbelievable. Just look around. Look at all these hypocrites around you. These people are sinners. Or, look at all. All the people in my life, people are generally good. Sin doesn't exist. Heaven can't be real. Hell can't be real. Or he's condemning you. You're a hypocrite. You come to church, but I know what you've done. Don't pretend. This religion is all about being good. You're not good. End it now. Stop coming to church. Throw it away. God's telling you that lust, lusting after a man or a woman who's not your wife is not good. No, he's withholding from you. Give in to that. Why would God withhold pleasure? Doesn't God want you to be happy? If there is a God, he wants me to be happy. Surely he wants me to be happy. And brothers and sisters, all of these thoughts and many more 
are constantly coming to you, and they're going to run through your, your mind. You're going to hear it in, in, in the whole way that the world is constructed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I don't think I have this on the screen, but he says, the, or I might, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So how do we get lulled to sleep? By all of these lies, and there's an active enemy, and I don't know how it happens, but just planting these thoughts in their everywhere. And believers can get really sleepy, really sleepy. We start believing these things and, and all of a sudden we're walking around, we're not praying. Our communion with God is it's, it's cold. We've given in to, to sin so, so it's even colder. And Paul is saying, no, it, at all times be praying. With all prayer and supplication, keep alert, persevere, keep alert. And this is the call to the Christian. Peter says it like, he says, be sober-minded. We have a call to keep alert. But God has also given us a way, a built-in way for this to happen. Ephesians 6, 18, the second part of 18 in talking about prayer, Paul says, making supplication for all the saints. Now, if you remember from the first or second sermon in the series, we talked about what a saint is. Does anyone remember that? What's a saint? Amen. A believer, right? Anyone who believes in Christ, a believer. In, in the world, in, in, the, in the Catholic religion, has kind of distorted that to, to be certain people are saints. But no, the way the Bible talks about saints are you are the saints. If you know Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, you are a saint. And here Paul is saying, making supplication requests, plead for each other. The saints. We're called to pray for each other, to bear each other's burdens. You guys hear me say this all the time, and, and it, it, I'm never going to tire of saying it because I believe it with all of my heart. We need the local church. You need the local church. There's something that happens here on a Sunday, apart from my teaching. I could stand up here and give the worst sermon ever. It doesn't matter. There's still something that's happening here. It's called the means of grace, where the ordinances of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper are practiced. The preaching of the word, the singing of the word, the praying of the word, the fellowship of the believers. We are called to this. And in that call, God pours out his spirit amongst us in a special way. It's called the Lord's Day. We believe here at Vintage Faith in the Lord's Day. Like Sunday, it's a set-apart day for the saints to come together and to worship. And brothers and sisters, I, I believe that that's where Paul is going here, saying making supplication for all the saints. We are in this together as a family, a family of families. And I would just ask this question um, 
Do you have anyone here at this church that you can pray with and read the Bible with? Other than, than me is, is the pastor. We desire uh, to ultimately to build a culture here of, of just discipleship, but organic discipleship. Like I, when I hear that, that you guys get together for coffee and maybe open up the Bible and it's a one-on-one or three people, that excites me. I want to hear and see that. Relationships that are forming around the word and around prayer. And we don't need an, an official ministry to make these things happen. They can just happen. We're a small church. One of the benefits of a small church is you can get to know people fairly quickly and fairly easily. It's harder to hide in a small church. You can hide in a large church, um, but you can't hide in a small church. Or you're going to have a hard time hiding. All right. So the church is crucial, and Paul is pointing to that in, in the prayer. Hey, we're not just, it's not just me and Jesus, and I'm not just praying for myself. We're praying for each other. In fact, Ephesians 3.10, which is the, what we use to name this sermon series, it's all about the church. It's planted right in the middle of the letter so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How is God showing what he is like in the world? Through you, the gathered church. The gathered church. We even see this idea in the Old Testament. Um, There's a psalmist who's struggling with maybe something that you guys have struggled with at times. Why do the wicked prosper? And the psalmist is becoming envious and, uh, of the proud and the arrogant, and this happens a few times in the Psalms. But in Psalm 73, he says this, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. So what the psalmist is referring to here with the sanctuary is is the temple and being with God's people, saying, hey, I didn't quite understand this, and I was wrestling with this, but then I get together with the people of God and the worship of God, and I now understand it. And I know in this individualistic culture that we live in, this message is swimming upstream. I, I get that. It's, it's swimming upstream. In fact, when you see, if you haven't seen our membership covenant, you're going to read that and, and you're going to be like, this is different. It, it's swimming upstream and we, we know that. And we're calling people to that, to be a set-apart community, not just like the world, different than the world, committing to each other and covenanting with each other. And there is something beautiful in that that is very different from everything around us. All right, let's continue here. Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. Another way that Christian prayer is different from all other prayers, religions. And Paul, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador 
in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul, this is not a metaphor. He is literally in chains. As he writes this letter, he is in chains. And he's not praying, pray for me that I will get released from this prison and that I can get good food and and feel better and maybe start walking a little and, and get healthy. He's not praying for that. He's praying that he can declare the gospel in prison. He's praying that he can declare the gospel not for his situation to change. And we know again in, in chapter 3, Paul, he was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Often you, you guys will hear me talk about uh, Charles Spurgeon. He was an 18th or 1800s preacher in London who, who we often quote here. And there's a story, um, Steve and I are reading through a Spurgeon book right now, and there's a a story about Spurgeon. There were these young college students who were coming to hear his ministry. Now, Spurgeon was like the first ever megachurch. He had a church of 5,000 people in London. It was very different than than anything at the time. He was preaching the gospel. Many people were coming to to faith. People from all over wanted to hear him preach. And and there's a story that... A few students came to visit where he preached, which was the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And they, they show up at the tabernacle on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and, and they were greeted by a man um, who knew that they were coming. They were students, in the, and they were coming. And the man said, gentlemen, um, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of the church? And they didn't want to offend the strangers, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway, a door was quietly opened, and their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin. 700 people bowed in prayer, and just on a Sunday morning, before he's about to preach, like that's taking prayer serious. That's taking the proclamation of the gospel serious. And I know many of you send me texts on Saturday, hey, I'm praying for you, pastor, praying for the message, and I love that. Thank you. Thank you. But I also want you praying for each other that you guys are proclaiming the gospel boldly and out there sharing your faith boldly. I don't know if you've been following the news lately. Um, anyone read newspaper anymore? By a show of hands. For us. Do you? That's, I like that. That's awesome, man. Um, that, so, so I don't know where you get your news. I get my news online. Um, and if you're following the news in our area, you, you, you know that Micron, which is a chip-building uh, factory that builds chips for computers is um, chosen, I don't know, five miles down the road, three miles down the road, right in our backyard. Um, They're talking about how that's going to change the face of of the whole area. Um, Whether you see that as a curse or a blessing, it it doesn't matter. The, The reality is, by God's providential hand, there is going to be 
thousands and thousands and thousands of new people moving into this area. There are already not enough churches in this area. If there was a, a revival of the Lord just in Clay and Cicero, which, does anyone know the population of Clay and Cicero? I think Clay is 60,000, Cicero's 30. If there was just in our area, I can think of five to seven churches that, that I know the pastors that are preaching the gospel and they're all roughly the same size, you, you don't have enough churches. There's not enough workers in the harvest. So Vintage Faith Church, I think we, we have something to, to pray for. And even if that wasn't happening, we should pray for this same thing, that we go out and preach the gospel boldly. We need more leaders, more teachers, more preachers, more home groups, more people that, that will invite people into their home in the name of Christ, more Bible studies, more places for the gospel to go forth in our area. Do you know the God that we are proclaiming? Is it foreign to you when Paul says, pray for me so I can proclaim this gospel boldly? Does that just not compute to you? And I would say if that's, if that's you, cry out to God. Say, I want to I know. I want to know what Jesus, what this Jesus uh, is all about. I want to know him. Show me, Lord, who Jesus is. And then get with someone here and ask questions. And they'll pray with you. If you want people to pray with you after service, we can pray with you. I would pray with you. Steve would pray with you. There's plenty of people here that would love to pray with you. If you haven't responded to the gospel, what is stopping you? What is holding you back? If you have responded to the gospel, remember he is a loving father who delights in you. As I watch the young mothers with their young kids and, and fathers too, and, and just watch how much you delight in your children, God does that perfectly without sin. Your delighting in your ch child is a shadow of how God delights in you. Lean into that. Because here's my thought. When you lean into that truth, Abba, Father, and that, that the Lord delights in you. I read in, in the Confession of Sin, a psalm. There's a lot of psalms that talk about the Lord delighting in us. When you lean into that truth, you're going to want to pray. It's not a chore anymore. It'll stir something up within you. Abba, Father, you walk with him every moment of every day. That's what's available to the Christian. You're never alone. Never alone. Vintage Faith Church, we worship a God who delights in us. And we can talk to him at any time. And we have to remember that we are also in a battle and that we need him. Let's pray. Father, God, 
Lord, we again confess that we often view you as harsh or distant. We don't view you the way that you have revealed yourself in the Bible. Therefore, we don't pray. Lord, we, when we do pray, often we're distracted and we don't even know what to pray for. Lord, renew our, our hearts in a way that just sees that you are here, that you hear us, that you love us, that you find joy in hearing from us. Also help us to remember that we are in a battle and that prayer keeps us alert. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.